This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's take our Bibles, please. Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to pick up where the message left off this morning. By way of review, again, we've been talking about life's journey, and God intends for it to be a journey of what? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to do what? Please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Now what does that mean? Well, it's talking about diligently seeking his favorable presence. And when you take everything in Scripture and you compress it, what you realize is that God made man to be glorified through fellowship with man. That was the Garden of Eden. That was normal. Everything after they took a bite out of that fruit, it's not been normal. And so to restore normal, what did the Lord do? Well, to restore the fellowship, he sent his son. And Jesus died on the cross and through repentance and then faith into him. He moves into the life, puts to death the old man, and through new life in Christ, we can experience normal again. Say, Pastor, that that sounds too good to be true. It's not if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Really is not. Now, yes, There's more that we have to deny in order to maintain that fellowship, but it's just sweet submission to the Lord. And in fact, I I would say to you, we have it better than Adam and Eve did. We get to see more of the big picture. He lives in us. Wherever we go, He goes. And so we can enjoy rich, continued fellowship with him, abundant life, and as our evangelist reminded us, as we let Christ shine and live through us, we can do even greater works than he did. And remember, he said that, not me. Greater works. What an exciting life. What a great journey if we choose to live by faith. Now, it means that God's got to do some work on us because we don't think we need to live by faith. And so the Lord brought us out from thence, Egypt, that he might bring us in, that he might give us the land that he's promised. And for us, it is a land of promise. All those promises of what we are, who we are in Christ, and what we can see the Lord do. In fact, I love this promise. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
So when we feel like we have nothing, that's when we yield and he just shines through and does his glorious work. And so we've been looking at that wilderness journey, that process. And this morning we talked about for those who will choose to live by faith, the big picture is this. We are in a God-centered relationship. That relationship was one for us through Jesus Christ, through his blood. We sang about that, the wondrous cross. That when we are at the cross and we know the Lord, that now we are the family of God. We get to enjoy that. We're going to say more about that tonight. But it started with what Passover pictured, the blood of the Lamb being shed. And when you are secure on the other side of that door, when you are secure on the other side of the cross because of the blood, there's safety and no death. No death. I appreciated uh, our Sunday school, uh, the adult Bible study lesson this morning, and Brother Long uh, pointed out, and uh, Ron Zellman as well, uh, the parallels that we see from Genesis and Revelation. Uh, but in, in Genesis and, and then when we get into Exodus, you have this parallel of redemption. That if the blood was applied, no death. And that, that was in Egypt. All through the land of Egypt. A mighty empire. If the blood wasn't applied, the oldest died. Now you take that to the end of God's plan, the end of time, all right? And what do you have? Again, if the blood is not applied, you don't get raptured out. And you stay here, and again, the death angel, okay? Uh, and remember, in, in Egypt, it was God who said, I will pass over, but then you have, you have the division, uh, there, were, there was death moving to destroy. And the point is that from heaven, then God will pour out his judgment on this earth in what we know as the great tribulation. And the only way to escape it is to put your faith in the blood of Christ and his finished work on the And so such love demands my life, my soul, my all. But he did that so that we could have fellowship together. Now tonight we want to pick up with the fact, looking back now to Exodus, that the God-centered relationship was redemptive, and then we also need to see now that it is communal. Have you thought about the fact that God himself dwells as a community? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have communed in eternity in perfect fellowship. And then they decided to let us in. They decided they wanted to create us to have fellowship with us. And your sanctification proves that all three persons are all in, if I can use that expression, for the joy 
of eternal fellowship with us. And, and part of that fellowship is just being aware of what God has done for us. When I have my time with the Lord each morning, there are certain things that I pray about. And, and over the years, th this has just really stayed with me and impacted me. And it's one of the things that on a regular basis I thank God for. God sent Jesus here. Now think about that. He sent his son here. He left heaven and took on human flesh. Up to that time, the community was all right there together. But Jesus came here. He gave up his son. In reality, because of the Trinity, God gave up himself. But he sent him here knowing that in order for him to become sin, our sin, my sin, your sin, that there would be a breach in the fellowship. And so we ought to be reminded on Friday again that when Jesus hung on the cross, and Brother Long, uh, I couldn't help but think of this as you were teaching this morning, when God turned his back, the lights went out. Jesus, who is the light of the world, became sin. But God, who is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, He turned His back. And what was going to be the natural effect of that? The lights went out. It was dark. Middle of the afternoon. Darkness. And from the darkness, on that middle cross, what was declared? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You and I will never comprehend the breach in the Godhead, the fellowship that took place at that time. But we can try to wrap our mind around this. God did that for you and for me. Amen. And listen, He did it so you and I will never have to say to the Father, why have you forsaken me? Now listen, if you reject Christ, you reject his sacrifice, which is all sufficient, but you, you reject that and you're too consumed with the things of this world and someday I'm going to take care of that. Your eternity without Christ will be eternal separation from God. Why is hell a place of outer darkness? Well, because the presence of God, we know that he's everywhere presence, but, but his his fellowship, His glory, it's not there. It's got to be dark. And in darkness, you'll think about eternity, from eternity the fact that you've been forsaken by God. And it didn't have to happen. <laughs> didn't have to happen. God let us into His community. Now, God sent the Son. We're going to celebrate Easter next Lord's Day. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. Jesus said, it's needful that I go away. And I, Imagine the look on the disciples' faces. What? It, it's necessary you leave us? After all we've been through? Point is, I'm not leaving you. Okay? It's needful that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send a comforter of the very same kind. Another Trinity text. 
I am coming back in my spirit, and instead of being physically with you, I'm going to be spiritually in you. Wow! That's needful. That's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. And then when you study the rest of the New Testament and what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in us, it's, it's glorious. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent His Spirit. And so when I get on my face to pray, just a matter of prayer, I get to pray to the Father through the intercession of the Son at His right hand. And who prays with me? Spirit of God. Why? They're all in. They want fellowship with us. And the scripture even says, and our communion is with the Spirit. What a privilege. What a privilege. Now when we get hold of this, this love of God, the scripture tells us that it will be shed abroad in our heart to others. And so we're led into the fellowship, the communion with God, but in that fellowship with Him, then we also get to fellowship with one another. Consider this, when our theology is God-centered and not people-centered, it will change our outlook on relationships and make them better. Primarily with God and then again with others. Here's proof positive that a person is not having sweet fellowship with God. They don't care if they have fellowship with us. Well, pastor, we're just busy and, and you don't understand and it's this excuse and this excuse and this excuse. Do you know that even during COVID, folks who have fellowship with God have maintained fellowship with us even if they couldn't be here? I get the texts. I get the emails. I just miss my church family. This, we don't like this at all. We're praying for people. We get notes come into the church office thanking the, the staff for the live stream. And, and listen, thank you for uh, continuing to get the word of God out. Thank you, deacons, for continuing to look in on us. Uh, we miss the fellowship. Our heart is that we long to be there. Why? Because they're fellowshipping with God and that, shed, that, that, that love shed abro is shed abroad in their hearts to others. But when people have the attitude, I'm a Christian, but church, I can take it or leave it, proof positive, they are not fellowshipping with the Father. So when you're having fellowship with the Father, you have fellowship with the family. You want it. Listen to John, 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. This is John writing. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. The beloved disciple, our fellowship is with the Father and it's with you. And it all comes together. It has to. So this brings us back to our original theme of brokenness for the sake of the abundant life and God's glory. Scripture reveals through Israel and the church that change is what God intends for His people to experience together. And so our fellowship with the Father is 
designed to help us be like the Son. And our fellowship together is to help us encourage each other to change into the image of Christ. We are in the, this God-centered relationship together. Community, our togetherness is intended by God to encourage our relationship with Him. And understandably, that's why some people don't want the community of the body of Christ. Because if I don't care about my walk with the Lord and I'm constantly around people who love their walk with the Lord, well, that's, that's going to bring conviction on my life and I'd rather avoid that. But somebody who is desiring a longing for greater fellowship with the Lord loves to come into the community of believers because I, I can always find somebody who's in better fellowship with me and I need that influence. I love to see them with Jesus. And, and it makes me, the Holy Spirit can even point to that and say, see what you can, just, just depend on me. Just walk with me. Again, Tim Lane, Paul Tripp's words help us. Why is community so important for the Christian? Look at this quote, to transform us into the image of Christ. Living in community pushes us to die to ourselves. There will be times when loving others and allowing others to serve and love us will feel like death. Now let me just stop for him. What, what's, he, what's he talking about? Okay, You could put next to this, this quote, accountability. Accountability. Because again, when others are serving and loving me, if I don't have a heart to serve and love others, uh, perhaps it's what Peter experienced when the disciples are all trying to figure out who's going to be the most important and Jesus gets a basin of water and a towel and he starts washing feet. Question, do you think that was uncomfortable for the disciples? Those rascals, I'm going to be greater, and... and all right, Jesus just starts washing dirty, stinky feet. And of course, Peter speaks up. He's uncomfortable. He's going to do something about it. Lord, you're not washing my feet. What does the Lord say? If I, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. See, again, and I wish that we could develop this more, a reference to community. That, that these men, men together in fellowship with their Lord, what a difference it was intended to make in their lives. Now let's read on. It may feel like death, but this is the pathway to real life in Christ. The more we understand our own hearts, the more we see that it takes the, a work of God's grace to transform self-absorbed individuals into a community of love. As I yield to Christ, He changes me from within. But as I interact with God's people, there's that external influence to change me as well. And that's good. That's good. And by the way, I, I'm so thankful. I believe with all my heart that that is the atmosphere, and if I could even use this word, the pressure here at Good News. Say, so why don't... Man, I love this. Why don't people want to come, come around? There you go. There you go. 
Some people are drawn to the fact that other people have been with Jesus. And some people take a step back. Now let's see examples that prove what this quote is saying. You're in Exodus, and we're going to get there. We're here, all right? But here is a positive example. Twice after hearing from the Lord. This was Israel's response. Exodus 19, look at verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Look down, uh, or, or just over a couple pages, go to Exodus 24. Would to God this had been the attitude of the children of Israel all along. Look at chapter 24 and verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said we will we do and be obedient. Okay. Wow. If, if it had only stayed that way. But there are negative examples, and you know this. While Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law, look at Exodus 32. We just looked at two positive examples, and now we're going to go just a couple chapters and look at Exodus 32 and notice verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, Stop for a moment. Question. Where were they looking? Were they looking to the Lord? Yes or no? No. Moses. You're not supposed to be looking at Moses. You're supposed to be looking to God. Okay? So what are our hearts like? You can be standing before a mountain that is on fire and not have the right perspective. We don't know about this Moses. So the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Aaron, by the way, misses a golden opportunity. He could have stopped everything right there. But instead of him looking to God, he looks at these people, and he's afraid. Break off the earrings that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings that were in their ears, brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool. Now that's important. Because later Aaron's going to say, I just threw this gold in the fire and out jumped a calf. This is what happened. He engraved the calf after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to who? The Lord. Aaron would have made a great politician. I know a city just north of here where he would have done just fine. That's extra biblical. Okay, you can dismiss that, but I feel better saying it. All right. 
The point is, Israel's hearts were still worshipful. Did you notice that? Those hearts were still centered on the gods of Egypt. The golden calf, which, by the way, had been proven powerless against Israel's God, they want to worship that again. Some of you still bow to the world's gods and haven't done a single, that haven't done a single thing to help you. They haven't satisfied your hearts. They haven't gotten you out of your trouble. But you're still worshiping them instead of God. Now, I think a lot of people, that's, they do that because God's their backup plan. Well, he's merciful, he's faithful, uh, got him in my back pocket. No, you don't. Not without repentance and turning to him, and with an attitude like that, what's going to happen before the repentance is he's going to have to bring brokenness. You've forgotten you are in a God-centered relationship if you're saved. And you don't want the community of believers... Why? Because they remind you that life is all about your relationship with God, if it's a community like we have here, and you don't think you need the change that communing with God and the community of God's people will bring. Bottom line, you're still not broken. Not broken yet. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor is to watch God do his work in the life of a believer. I mean, some pretty difficult things that happen. And then you talk to them, you try to encourage them, and they're still talking about how they're going to wiggle out of this, and it's still their plan, not God's. I've seen it. And I think, Lord, what else do you have to do? Of course, he knows the answer to that. But, but no matter what, what is it, they, it's still their plan. They're still going to figure this out, and they're still not going to give up their gods. It's still about Egypt. It's not about the Lord. What it comforts me, what encourages me, is God knows what it needs to take. And he'll do what needs to happen in love, because he longs for that fellowship more than any of us do. Which, by the way, I don't understand, but that's who he is. So our relationship is God-centered. And that relationship is communal. It's redemptive. And lastly, and don't miss the big picture part here, all right? You are in a God-centered relationship that is sufficient. Say it with me. It is sufficient. Now Satan's going to try to convince you otherwise. You can be in a garden with all these wonderful things to eat. No harm, no danger. It's beautiful. You can be in a perfect place and if you listen to Satan, he'll convince you there's one tree you still need to try. By the way, you do realize there was one poisonous tree in the garden, right? Do you agree with me? It was poison. Why? Because God said if you eat it, you're going to die. They ate it. What happened? They died. 
So Satan's going to try to convince you God is not sufficient. Your flesh is going to try to convince you that God is not all sufficient. All you got to do is step back looking at the wilderness wanderings. And again, I'm going to ask you a very important question. Did Israel lack anything that God didn't provide? Yes or no? They had no needs. But they questioned God's sufficiency. And by the way, I've reminded my children, and I'll just, I'll just remind you young people, okay? Well, pastor, I like a little variety in my diet, and yeah, I would have gotten tired of manna too. Stop! Take it from a farm boy. They had flocks and herds. And those flocks and herds were having babies. How many years did they wander out there? Forty? If you're a herdsman and you know how to manage a flock, you've got milk, you've got cheese, you've got meat. Where were they focused? On what they didn't have, not God's provision, what he'd already given. That's your flesh. If you're not looking to God and your flesh will never be satisfied unless God has his rightful place in your heart. Romans chapter 1. And so he is sufficient. What did God provide? I've put it up here on the screen for you. They received manna. Exodus 16. I hope we get to taste that in heaven. Amen? Every time they needed water, God gave it to them. Pretty amazing. They're walking around in a desert. Exodus 17. God sent quail, Numbers 11. When they didn't even want to use what God had already given them, God listened, and God sent them so much quail, they were sick of quail. But then there's this incident at Meribah. Take your Bibles now, and would you turn to Numbers chapter 20? Numbers chapter 20. There are some things about this wilderness wandering that you ought to be able to just bring to your mind. Kedish Barnea, where after a couple of weeks they could have entered the promised land, doubted God, and had to wander for 40 years. Kedish Barnea. You also need to remember what happened at Meribah, and that's what we're going to consider very quickly now. Meribah means strife. Again, Israel is striving against their gracious, all-sufficient God. No reason to doubt Him. They have everything they need. But instead of looking to Him, they're looking to what they think they don't have. So they're striving. Meribah. What exactly happened when Moses struck the rock? Remember? God said, go speak to the rock. Moses He's upset at this point. Takes that staff that God had used to part a Red Sea. But this time he walks over, he says some things to Israel, and he strikes that rock in anger, strikes it twice. Now what happened when Moses did that instead of speaking to it like God commanded? Well, let's look at this briefly. God had commanded Moses to take the rod in his hand and to go and speak to the rock. Look at verse 8. 
Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. In our God-centered relationship, his method is to speak even after our repeated failings. Now this is important. This was not the time to strike the rock. This was the time, Moses, you're supposed to stand, you're supposed to speak to the rock from the Lord, and it will gush water. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Holy Spirit, His primary way of working as we're surrendered to Him is He speaks to us. Okay? And not only does he speak to us, but he provides all that we need. How does he speak? You're not going to hear voices. Okay? But here's, here's how he speaks. If you are dependent on him and you ask something from him, direction, provision, and so on. Uh, I, we've, we've tried to help our children. If you lose something, sometimes it's God allowing you to lose something so you can ask him for help to find it. And I don't know how many times this has happened. I've asked for help, and there's a thought that comes in my mind. Check that pocket. Amen. Say, Pastor, is that what God really does? Yeah, and he's glorified, and I give him thanks. He speaks. Amen. Okay? So God says, Moses, speak my words to this rock, but it's me. And so he's, he's supposed to speak to this rock. Again, reminding us, that the Lord speaks for comfort, for reassurance, for provision. Moses, however, did not think speaking was sufficient, and he smote the rock, not once, but twice. Next, Moses forgot he was in a God-centered relationship with the all-sufficient one. Whenever you get frustrated and you think you need to take things into your own hands, stop, stop. You are in a relationship with the all-sufficient one. And by the way, he lives right here. You don't have to take things into your own hands. Stop thinking you can or that you should. Although he approaches God about this at the beginning. Look at verse 6. This amazes me. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Did you realize that that happened before Moses got up and then went and did what he thought was best? Now, there's, this is instructive. He has the habit, when Israel complains, he takes it to God. And I love this. When you get on your face before the Lord, the Lord's going to meet you. Draw nigh to me, and I will do what, he says. I'll draw nigh to you. And Moses got up with an answer from God. It's all he needed. But don't get up from your time with the Lord and then put your eyes somewhere else. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And he walks out and he looks at these complainers and I think his blood pressure starts to rise. We've been here before. What is your problem? 
he forgets the relationship and he proceeds to handle the situation in anger his own way. This is striking. He calls them rebels in verse 10. Do we need to bring water out of this rock for you rebels? Stop, Moses. You can't bring water out of any rock. He calls them rebels. And they were. But then he chooses to rebel too. Which is worse, their rebellion, their complaining, or your rebellion, your anger? And by the way, parents, that's why the wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. You still need God. You need to handle things in his temperament, controlled by his spirit. Israel complained, but Moses striking the rock was another form of complaining. Right? He didn't verbalize complaining to God like Israel was doing. He's complaining about Israel, and he's taking it out on the rock. Rebellion. Where should he be looking? Where should he be depending? Third, he did not acknowledge God in the miracle, but took the matter of provision on himself. Let's look at verse 10. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. Now in a sense, Moses was taking the honor on himself when God was showing Israel what? He's showing Israel, I am the all-sufficient one again. That's what Israel needed to learn. He is the all-sufficient one. But now they're distracted because Moses even isn't convinced anymore he's the all-sufficient one. And by the way, the incident caused Aaron not to enter the promised land either. Why? Well, we've already talked about how Aaron folded back with the golden calf incident. But here, he was agreeing with Moses against Israel instead of being the spiritual influence within the community, the spiritual influence that Moses needed. Aaron had the opportunity as God's representative, he's high priest, to stand up to Moses or to stand up to the children of Israel and say, no golden calf. No. Look to God. He had the opportunity to stand up to Moses and say, don't hit that rock, look to God. Community is important if we're looking to the Lord. If you and I are not looking to the Lord, we are a liability to this community. And by the way, so am I. We've got a lot of spiritual leaders here, pastors, missionaries. Keep looking to Jesus. The people of God depend on that. Look to Jesus. And so Moses and Aaron both forfeit getting to enter the promised land. Now let's apply these truths. Why is God's sufficiency so important for believers? 
here's some perspective. With both Israel and the church, God brings all the assets to the relationship. And man brings all the liabilities. What do you think? Is that true? Right? He brings all the assets to the relationship. That's why I just need to yield completely to him. I, I don't have anything to bring to him. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Listen to Deuteronomy 6.23. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give the land which he swore unto our fathers. It's all about him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, might abound unto every good work. Who's sufficient? He is. Let me word it this way. He is. And I'm not pointing to me. He is. The Spirit of Christ and of God is right here. The Jesus who walked on this earth and raised the dead, healed the blind, met, met every need, fed thousands, brought comfort. That Jesus is right here. He's here. Is he any less sufficient here than he is in bodily form and glorified body next to his Father in heaven? Is he more sufficient there than he is right here? No. And if your flesh tries to convince you otherwise, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Now here's the problem with Israel and the church. Man is tempted to believe that life's purpose Meaning and fulfillment are found in material things. It seems like material things can give life, but they can't. You say, well, but I, I have to have them. No, you have to have God alone who provides them. I can't give it up. No, no, no. You can't give up Jesus because he's going to provide everything you need. Luke 12, 15, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You don't need stuff. You need the Savior. 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 8, but godliness. What is that? Well, that's the God-focused, God-dependence that works his righteousness in us. But godliness with contentment is great what? It's great gain. Of all the things you can value and have here, have godliness with contentment. How wealthy are you? I'll have godliness with contentment. Then you're set. You are set. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's the application? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You've all heard the expression. And it's true. I've never seen a U-Haul trailer following a hearse. Never have. The Egyptians believed that lie, and so when they... 
when they buried somebody, they put all their wealth in there, kill their servants, put them in there too, because you're going to need all this later. No, none of it went with them. We came into this life with nothing, and it's certain we'll, end, we'll leave this life with none of this earth's goods. All right, so what is the priority as believers? We're about done. Here's the priority. God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Therefore, we can be confident that along with Jesus, God will also freely give us all things, all the things that we need. Our final destination is secure. The eternal things worth living for cannot be taken from us. Keep your eyes on pleasing Christ and being with him through dependent walking with him or the abundant life. And you will live securely in a world where nothing else is secure. Are you ready? If you're ready, let's cross over the Jordan. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to just take some time to again reiterate what it means to walk in the Spirit. The evangelists refer to this, reiterated steps of dependence. I was so refreshed from the meetings, and I think part of it was every night we're here and we're being reminded of the Spirit of God. We're meeting for prayer. We're praying during the day. It was a time of refreshment. I believe that God made us thirsty. And I believe he wants to satisfy that thirst in every one of our lives. If we'll just realize, I've got to deny myself. God, break me. Whatever you've got to do, Lord, I'm going to deny myself. And I'm going to submit to you, which means I'm going to depend completely on the Spirit. A life of reiterated steps. And the only way that can happen is I'm talking to you all the time. I'm talking to you about everything. I'm asking for your help, I'm, I'm giving you praise, I'm resisting temptation, and it helps my focus to stay where it needs to be. And I'm reminded in the scriptures that when my focus is on you, my trouble just dissipates. And when it comes, even if I'm on a stormy sea, I can walk on the water as long as I can keep my eyes on you. Let's close. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. Do you have the big picture? Do you have the big picture? You are in a God-centered relationship that's redemptive, redemptive, communal, and sufficient through Christ. God is working. And at times, there's the needed breaking. So that we can get the big picture. All things continue to deteriorate in this wilderness. I've been on Facebook a year. I don't go there for any encouragement. Now, it does help me keep up with some things. Okay? But it reminds me I'm journeying through a wilderness and a lot of my fellow countrymen are, are following blind leaders. They're, spiritually, they're blind. 
And there are other problems. But we can still have abundant life if God is the center of our focus and we're following Him. So let's, let's cross over. Let's enjoy that abundant life. It's promised land. Let's look to Jesus and claim those promises. Father, thank you for the wonderful attention of your people tonight. Holy Spirit, this is why you created us. This is why you recreated us. And, and so, Lord, as your messenger, and that's all I am, as your messenger, when we declare these truths, it has to resonate in our hearts because, Holy Spirit, this is from you. This is the fellowship that you long to have with us. And as your sheep, you love us and you know that this leads us to green pastures, not to other sheepfolds where there are enemies and thieves and, and Satan. Now, Lord, would you continue by your still small voice to communicate to our hearts, or even right now, what it is that we need to commune with you about so that our fellowship is uninhibited, so that our fellowship is sweeter, and so that our wonderful relationship, Lord, through that, you can do your work to change us into Jesus' image. So God, whatever you've said to us tonight, Lord, right now we need clarity of thought, we need grace, to be able to speak back to you, Lord, what, what you require. What is, what is the gracious tugging of the Spirit in our hearts? Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.